Mark 13, and uh, last, uh, last week we weren't here due to the weather. Tonight's a little better, a little more chilly, but uh, we, we're down in verse 22 and 23, and uh, obviously just kind of remember where we're at here. Uh, we're in uh, the Olivet Discourse. We're, we're a couple days ahead of Calvary, uh, chapter 14. Verse 1, after two days was the feast of Passover and unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. So we're just prior to the two days out. He's uh, been preparing the apostles for their ministry that they're going to have after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. So we're, uh, he's been describing to them the the last days, and uh, he's preparing them to go through the 70th week of Daniel. Uh, we call it the tribulation, the great tribulation, and uh, he's instructing them here about their activity, their ministry, and again, the issue of the servant and uh, what's going on and what the servants are going to be doing during the, really the last half of the 70th week. Uh, the beginning of it there, verse 10 the gospel must first be published among all nations. So prior to the 70th week, as well as during the first half, they're going to have ministry. And then verse 14, But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, and that's telling, let him that readeth understand, then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Uh, Mark and or Matthew and Luke say standing in the holy place. Mark here, it doesn't belong there, and yet the nation has allowed it to come in. And the reaction then, well, the first reaction is flee. <laughs> so they're no longer out ministering and pushing and trying to get as many converted. Now it's flee. Now it's run. And then we begin to read about the seductive policy down in verse 20, and except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. So they're going to be under great persecution, and a universal seduction program is going to be underway. They're in verse 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Then he says, except that the Lord shortened the days, and the shortened days is seven years. The shortened days is 1260, 1260. If he had allowed the, the, pro, the course of the events to run out, then it would, no flesh would make it, not even the elect. And then in verse 21, here's the, here's the deception. And then if, then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not, for false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. And last time we were together, we looked at that issue of the signs and the lying wonders, and all of that was there, and there's going to be this worldwide deception program where the anti where there's these mini antichrists little dudes and he, they're underlings and they're out s seducing people to come and worship him 
They think they're worshiping God. They're, they're worshiping him. And, he, and what they're using is signs and wonders. And we looked last time how that really the signs and wonders are designed to, to expose the unbelief, not the belief. So then in verse 23, kind of where we're at, but take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. And again, he's talking to the 12 here, uh, in, and then the, subsequently, therefore, the little flock, and that about the things that they're, that they're gonna, that's going to happen, and I'm warning you guys, I'm teaching you, so that you'll be ready, you'll be, you'll be, you won't be deceived by the seduction pro- policy of the adversary. You, you'll be ready to go, you'll be ready to move in, you'll be ready to take care of it. And this policy, back here in verse, in, in, in verse 21 and 22, is designed to carry away the believing remnant, to carry away that little flock. And, and again, if you come over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it, there's a, it, it's a very interesting thing where Daniel and Paul and John in the book of the Revelation give such specific details of, of the Antichrist. Actually, that's the name that we call him by. Scripturally, he's called the man of sin, the son of perdition. So if you will just look here in 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, we'll just verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now if you drop down to verse 8, all right, again, man of sin, son of perdition, the two titles of the Antichrist, the, the two descriptive terms that describe his career first half of the week three three years he's going to be doing this back half three and a half years he's going to be this way but in verse eight and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming even him whose coming is after the working of satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and again, that's the deal. His revelation starts. Here's what the detail is. Who is he? He's the wicked. He's going to be revealed. He's, he ultimately, he's going to be destroyed. His coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Why is that? Why are they easily deceived? Because... They receive not the truth of of the love of the truth that they might be saved. And again, last time we saw the issue of the sign program. It's really the design is to identify the unbelief. It's to rebuke the unbeliever. Um, It's not designed to produce faith. Never was. Luke 8 there, he's out preaching and showing. Faith is really, it's, Faith is produced by God's word. Well, what was the Lord doing? Luke 8, 1. He's preaching, and then he does the sign that is designed to validate the issue that he was just preaching. If you come back there to Mark 16, really Mark 16, verse 20 says it. Uh, Mark 16, 20, um, he says, And they went forth and preached everywhere, 
the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. And that's the issue with the signs. The signs are des- they're con- to confirm the word. So you have to have the word first so you understand what the sign is all about. And in Scripture, again, when here's the word and that's the sign. Now I get use the word to understand what the sign was, what the wonder is. Okay? He has to have the sign after the preaching. But yet the adversary, the Antichrist, the deceptive policy is we're going to have the signs and the lying wonders and we're going to have all that first. And then we're going to come over and have a little word. Well, if you come back to Matthew 7, it's fascinating. And where we're at in Romans 16, at the end here, we'll study this Sunday, Paul for the first time introduces the adversary to us in his epistles. And if you think that the adversary works like he does in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll do yourself, you'll, you'll, you, you, you will be one of the simple. You'll be, you're Ill, ill-equipped. Because when you look through Paul's epistles, and we'll do this Sunday, at every place where he brings up the, anti- the, the adversary, nowhere does the adversary do anything like he does in the Gospels. He doesn't. Paul never talks about casting out demons. He never talks about uh, unclean spirits. He never talks about supernatural, paranormal stuff. It's always good words and fair speeches are deceiving. So it's, but here in Matthew, in the Gospels, it in that way. There's signs and wonders, lying wonders. Uh, Matthew seven. If, if you just look here, verse twenty-one. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, in what day? The day over there they say, Lord, Lord, it's kingdom time to go in. Many's going to say in that day, going into the kingdom. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them that none of that happened, and it was all a bunch of baloney. He doesn't say that. Deuteronomy 13, we went back there and looked at the false prophet thing. The sign comes true. But then that false prophet says, what, let's go against what the Word of God said. Here's what the Word says. The sign is designed to to validate the word, and he says, no, we're going to go do something else. So what does the Lord say? Verse 23, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And that's an interesting thing there, work iniquity. So when you come back to 2 Thessalonians 2, guess what we see in verse 7? For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. And that issue of iniquity is, is very special. And again, the Lord doesn't say none of that happened. He just says, I'm not the source of it because my word says something completely different. What my word says is that what you guys are doing is iniquity, workers of iniquity. And it's not that it do- doesn't happen. It's just God's not doing it. That issue of iniquity is the first time that it's really 
Well, where it's connected to is Ezekiel 28, where Lucifer, when he falls, he's an iniquity was found in you. So iniquity is sin, but it's something very specific having to do with the satanic policy of evil and the adversary. So when you read iniquity, don't go, ooh, that's the bad one. No, there's, <laughs> there's associated what he just, just say to them in Matthew 7. You're workers of iniquity. You cast, you prophesied, you casted out stuff in my name, but you're not, you're not part of the little flock. You're over here part of, well, the, your, uh, ver, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.10, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. There's a deception, a lie, and they're out believing it, and what's doing, what's causing them to believe it is signs and lying wonders. If the sign doesn't confirm the word, then the sign is of no use. It doesn't, it doesn't bring, it, it, it doesn't help your faith, it doesn't bring faith, because it's something, well, it's based on emotions. I saw it. I felt it. But there's no verse so that you can't say it was done by faith. Because, by the way, Paul's verses today is, faith plus no works the jews require a sign the greeks seek after wisdom that's not a good thing we're a walk by faith not by sight so if i see something what i think it is it isn't faith it's what it's really unbelief because what does the word of god say it's like i had a discussion with the guy years ago and he's like, I was in the, my airplane in World War II, and the hand of God came out and protected me. And I said, no, he didn't. And oh, what do you mean? You're calling me a liar. I said, I didn't call you a liar. I just know, based on the word of God, that it was not God that did that. He's like, then what was it? I said, I don't know. Maybe your parachute worked. Maybe the clouds bolstered you up. I don't know. I wasn't there. Well, I saw, no. What is the belief? Verse 11. Well, into verse 2, why is that the case? Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And again, the saved there isn't unto eternal life. The saved is from the signs and lying wonders and the deceivableness. The truth, the word, that's the issue. If the sign doesn't come from the word, it's of no use. And just because you say something, it doesn't mean it, it has to be based on God's word. So the Antichrist is going to come in, and he's going to use experience-based validation for the truth. He isn't using the truth, the scripture, to validate the, that. He's, it's reversed. So what happens? Verse 11. By the way, verse 11 is a very powerful verse. And for this, God, for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's a powerful verse. God is the one sending them the lie. So God is sending the delusion to cause them to believe the light, well, verse 12, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure 
in unrighteousness. So ultimately, God himself sends that Antichrist, the lie program, so that the people who don't want the truth are identified. That's the whole of it. Um, it just, just come back to Ezekiel 20. It, that's, it's clear as the nose on your face, as they like to say. Look at Ezekiel 20. And verse, uh, well, just verse 37. Just kind of jump in here. And I will cause you to pass under the rod. All right, well, who's the rod? Come over to hold Isaiah 10. Hold on to Ezekiel 20. Called Bible study. Oh, my goodness. Who's the rod? Isaiah 10, verse 5. O Assyrian, the rod of my anger and the staff in their hand is my indignation. I will send him against the hypocritical nation. And against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. So who's the rod? The Assyrian, the Antichrist. Okay, and what's he going to do? He's going to he's going to use he's going to go up against that hypocritical nation, that apostate nation, the people of my wrath. He's going to he, I'm going to take spo- he's going to take spoil and the prey. He's going to tread them down. But watch verse seven. Howbeit he meaneth not so, neither doth his heart think so, but it is in his heart to destroy, and cut off nations, not a few. See, he's not going to be meaning to do it for God. What is God using him to do? A rod of my anger, staff in my, of my indignation. He doesn't mean it that way. He means it what Satan wants done, which is to destroy the nation of Israel. So when you come back to Ezekiel 20, and I will cause you to pass under the rod, i.e. the Antichrist, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant, and I will purge out from among you the rebels and them that transgress against me. I will bring them forth out of the country where they sojourn, and they shall not enter into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So when you come back to 2 Thessalonians 2, it's, it's not a problem here to understand that God is going to be, he's going to send the Antichrist whose job is going to do what God has charged him to do is identify those who don't want the truth. They want the lie. And he's going to do it with all deceivableness. He's going to use signs. He's going to use lying wonders. He's going to come in and miraculous demonstrate to accomplish it all. He's going to say, this sign validates this. Nope. Not what has, it's the, the word is to validate what you're seeing. All of that is what he says. Now, go back, uh, go back there to Mark 13 real quick. When he says to him in verse 23, Take heed. Behold, I have foretold you all things. We're going to get down in the passage. He's going to tell them to watch. He's going to tell them to pay attention. Look for this. Christ is telling them, here is the truth. Don't be deceived by all that other stuff out there you're going to see. So in the, in the time, there's a 
whole program of deception. Now, there's more going on here in, in Mark as we begin to back up and look at the scriptures. Come over with me to, to the book of John. And look in John 14. And just think about where we're at historically here. We're two days out from Calvary. He's going to die. Three days, he's buried. Three days, he resurrects. Then he's going to spend 40 days with the guys, getting them ready, uh, opening their understanding. Acts 1 there, Luke 24, getting them ready for the, the kind of putting the final touches. In the upper room, before he goes into the garden, before he goes, he says this to them in John 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. You ought to underline that word, another. The Holy Spirit is not the comforter. He's another comforter. The first comforter was the Son himself, that he may abide with you forever. Now draw your eye to verse 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So what's, the, what's job number one for the Holy Spirit in the, in, the, in the working within the little flock here? He's going to remind them of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what, everything he said. Okay? He's, his number one job is dealing with the Word of God. Now come over to chapter 16, verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them. Notice, now, in that moment, I got more I need to tell you, <clears throat> but you can't, hand, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> you can't handle it. How be it? When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you, notice, things to come. So not only is the Holy Spirit going to remind them of the gospel, but now he's also going to cause them to write the Hebrew epistle, the things to come. So come over to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. So, so there's some things here that we can study looking back at it. In the moment, they don't have the Hebrew epistles written. They're, they're worried about figuring out what's this thing about him going to Calvary and dying and being buried. You know, that's, a, that's a, got them all, you know, wigged out. So you've got God write a book here. And uh, in, in, in this... When God writes the book here, again, no, verse 1, God who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Okay? There's, there's an interesting, I know we kind of talk about who wrote Hebrews and, and so forth, but in the time period here that is going to equip them to not be deceived, God's written some books to help them with that. Verse 2, hath in these last days. Notice where we're at. 
spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Again, not God has been speaking to the nation of Israel through the prophets. Now he's going to reach out and speak to them through his Son. Okay? The Gospels, the earthly ministry of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts. In Acts, there's that renewed opportunity under their program to repent and receive because the kingdom is right here at hand. They reject that. They fall. Then you have the introduction of Saul of Tarsus, Paul. And now salvation is going to the Gentiles. Then in Romans to Philemon, Paul, we interrupt it. Here's the details of the dispensation of grace. And now Hebrews, he comes right back in here. He tells us, he, we're going to reorient you back to Israel's program. We're going to, he reached back in the time past. That's what he did there. Hath in those last days spoken to us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. I'm going to reach back into time past. And, but now we're in Israel's last days. Now, if you think about, here's, we're in Mark 13, and what's the Lord just told them? I've, I'm warning you, take heed, I'm telling you everything. Then we interrupt it, dispensation of grace, and now we're out here in the, in the ages to come, to come, and the first thing God does is reach back over and say, okay, you remember that? What he was telling you there is now, now. Does that make sense? What, happened, what he told you back here now it's on. Okay? Right now, where Hebrews 1 2, the future, again, reorients us back to Israel's program. Now come over to chapter 2. Now, what happens in this is you remember 2 Timothy 3 16? Okay? The instructions and in righteousness come from doctrine from reproof and from, from correction, okay? And what we're going to have here is we're going to have the same thing happen here now in the book of Hebrews, in the Hebrew epistles. Look, if you will, at Hebrews 2, uh, verse, well, verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Okay? Now again, we've all heard that preached at the missionary conferences. But what is the great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. We, Israel, first spoken of by who? The Lord. By the way, here's doctrine is Hebrews. And it's going to be about the cross. Okay? So when did, we when did the Lord, which at the first began to be spoken of by the Lord? Well, that's obviously Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in early Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's where we're at in Mark 13. 
The, God, the, the, sal, the great salvation is what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a deception program. There's an adversary. And if you stay with the truth, you'll go into the kingdom. That's what he's getting them at. And that's what, actually what we're going to see following down here in Mark. Verse 4. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles, and the gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his will. There's Acts. That's when that happened. When the Holy Spirit comes on the little flock, they can go out and confirm what happened in the gospel. Nothing new began at Pentecost. Acts 2. It's simply a carrying on. Actually, really, it's an advancement in Israel's program. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's come now. What Joel 2 said was going to happen has now happened. And we're on the doorsteps of the 70th week. That's, by the way, verse 4 is a great verse that demonstrates that the church, the body of Christ, the dispensation of grace did not start in Acts chapter 2. That verse 2-4. Now watch verse 5. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. So the writer of Hebrews is going to be talking about what? The world to come. The last days of Israel's program. So Hebrews is going to talk about the cross. It's a transitional book, by the way. And you've got three of them. You've got Matthew. That's a transition from the law and the prophets were until John. And then every, John's about repent for the kingdom of heaven. So everybody's pressing into the kingdom, Luke 16, 60. So now we have that. That's a transition. Then you have Acts, which is a transition out of Israel and into the dispensation of grace. And now you have a transition with Hebrew, but you're not moving from body back to Israel. You're going to move from old covenant to new covenant because of the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So for Israel... Hebrews is going to move them from the old to the new. That's why in Hebrews you have a better hope, a better testimony, a better promise, a better sacrifice, a better uh, um, substance, a better covenant, a better resurrection. Why? Because that old's decayed away. The old covenant is over with. The cross did away with that. Now, we have a better sacrifice. We have a new and living way for Israel. What's the Antichrist doing in Mark 13, 14? Remember? The abomination of desolation is set up where it ought not to be. What did he do? As soon as he signs the covenant agreement with Israel, they make the agreement, Isaiah calls it, with death and hell, In 220 days, the temple is rebuilt and temple worship is established. That old covenant system is up and running. So he's up there with temple worship. He's brought the Old Testament back. Israel is using signs and wonders. And and he's ultimately saying, I am who? I'm God. I'm Messiah. And you're going to come and worship me. Hebrews says, no. You're not. (laughs) Nice try, Charlie. You're on your way. Now, James is a book of reproof. By the way, you know what that is? 
bad behavior. And then 1 Peter is a book of correction, and that's going to be bad doctrine. All right, that's, so 1 Peter comes in, a book of correction there. Then you have the next book of doctrine, and that's going to be 2 Peter. And that's going to have to do with the corruption of the little flock. Or if you keep it in the church, but it's going to be the corruption of that little flock. And Peter goes in, and Peter starts dealing. Look over there at 2 Peter. Look at 2 Peter 2, just verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. There was false prophets, and there shall be false teachers. And in Revelation 2, the overcomers were given an attaboy for trying them out and getting rid of them, see. Why? Because there's an assault now, and 2 Peter answers that. Then you have the Johns. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And they're going to come in now. Come over to 1st John chapter 4. So when the Lord says to them, take heed, I've told you all things, he's also just told them, hey, or he's going to tell them, the Holy Spirit's coming. He'll remind you of all this, but he's also going to cause some more to come to you that you need to get through in service. You follow that? That's what we're doing here. That's why we're doing this. Look at 1 John chapter 4. So what the Johns do now, what 1 John does is it lays out a series of tests for the little flock to be identified to be able to identify the true fellowship versus the false fellowship. And again, back to Matthew, Mark 13. There's going to be false crises running around saying stuff. How do I identify them? Here's, a, here's a, uh, just an illustration. Verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now, you can't do this today. You don't try the spirits. Here's the test. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. You see the test? I want to identify the real, so what do we say? What's the question? Not we. What are they going to ask? Did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? Back there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Is that really the Messiah? Well, the believing remnant's going to say what? Yes. The unbelieving element, the apostates are going to say no. So then how can I? I can sit there and I can check it and I can make sure of it. 
By the way, you and we don't do this today. We can't do this. You know why? By the way, you know why? Hold on to 1 John. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever read this passage and go, why in the world is that verse right there? <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16. I mean, think about verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That's wonderful. Verse 17, there is, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, and then we get our, our job. But why is verse 16 sitting there? Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him, what? No more. How? After the flesh. See? It's an interesting verse. You know why? Because there are people that say, you got a 1 John 4 to it to test and make sure who's real and who's not. No, we don't know the Lord after the flesh. We don't know him after his earthly ministry. How do we know him? We know him as verse 14 and 15. We know him and what he's accomplished at Calvary. So when you come back to 1 John, the series of tests are rather quite interesting. Um, come back to 1 John. Uh, well, chapter 1 is a test of profession. And if you look there at verse 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness. If we, what? Say. So, that, so do you start in verse 6? If we say we have fellowship and walk in darkness, we lie and do not do So we have verse 8. If we say, verse 9. If we confess, verse 10. If we say, see, so actually it takes you all the way down to verse 11 of chapter 2. It's a test of profession. You start in 2.12 and you have the test of the desires and that'll take you all the way through verse 17. And verse 15 and 16, there's the, the three mechanisms by which Satan got Eve. Love not, verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not the Father, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So what did, what did Satan get Eve with? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. When the adversary tempts the Lord, there's three temptations, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. So when the Lord says, I was tempted in all points common to man, he nailed it. Why? Because where are we tempted? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. There it is. It's right there. The test of desire. Then you, then you have the true-false test in the rest of the passage down through the end of chapter 3 there with uh, the, the uh, Christ versus, versus the Antichrist. And you have a test of conduct. Actually, sorry, uh, chapter 2, 29 to the end of chapter 3, good versus bad work. Then in 4, where we were, we have a test of discernment. Then you have a test of loving one another in chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. And then you have the test of the new birth 
one born of God or born of the flesh in, in chapter 5. So you've got these series of tests. If you come there to chapter 3 and verse number 9, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. By the way, sin there, that isn't, oh, just out running around. That's a very specific thing. Notice it's a singular, it's sin, not sins. It's singular. It's, it's, it's got a context here. Whoever is born of God doth not commit sin. By the way, verse 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sin. So we're not talking about just anything. We're talking about something very specific. And again, this doesn't happen in your life. Our life is Romans 7. <laughs> I, want, I don't want to do that, so then what do I do? I go do it anyway, you know, and I'm all torn up. By the way, we have correction. There's a, there's a Jude, right, where we're going to contend for the faith, and uh, we're going to keep the doctrine straight. They're, why? Because they've corrupted the doctrine. And then the last book is the book of the Revelation, and that's his coming back. And there's none of that because we're off into the new world, the new heaven, and the new earth. So even for Israel, that you've got doctrine, reproof, and correction for them as well. And what the Lord is doing, when we come back to Mark 13, is when he says, Take heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. He's equipping them that will... Uh, help them to be able to stand against this powerful deception program that the adversary is going to unleash on them. And what are you going to do now as we work our way down through the rest of the chapter and into 14, he's going to tell them, you need to watch, you need to pay attention. They're to give careful attention to the doctrine being taught so they're not led away into destruction they're there to watch and they're to do they're to be very very careful okay now you've looked with me at third at verse 14 but when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by by daniel the prophet standing where it ought not all right it should not be there Israel should know it shouldn't be there, but they've been deceived. 2 Thessalonians 2. They've been deceived into thinking that the Antichrist is the real deal. They've been deceived into thinking that the guy up there doing the abracadabra and the shimkumba and the shazam is the guy. And the guy coming in the heavens out there is, well, he's the troublemaker. And it, he, they've been deceived. And that nation has been brought into and, and given way to the deception policy, so they're gone. They got there by being lazy. 
they got there by succumbing to the persecution and the, the onslaught of the Antichrist. You're in 13. They got there, back up there at the end of verse 8. These are the beginning of sorrows. The point here is they, they're under that progressive persecution of the Antichrist. It starts at the beginning of sorrows, and it just keeps getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And the point here that what the Lord's making is, look, guys, this is going to be progressive. It isn't all going to come on you at one time. It's all going to come very progressive with you. It's going to start here, beginning of sorrows, and then it's going to get a little heavier. And then it's going to get, and you know what, you go back into Daniel 8 and Daniel 9, and you begin to read about the peace policy and how he rescues them. And you get over there in chapter 10 and 11, and you begin to see the deeds. And it just, but then, man, as soon as that midst of the week happens, and the abomination shows up, and the war in heaven is coming to a conclusion, and Satan and, and his angels are kicked out of heaven. They lose their place. They don't have any authority up there. What happens? <laughs> Off it goes. And when that happens, you guys better flee. You better see the deception policy. And you better be careful because I have given you the word that you need to get through at every joint. At every case. By the way, just a side note. You see, whoa, that was ugly. You see, James, you see, Peter, who wrote Revelation? John did. Who are the three guys that gave their right hands of fellowship to the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2? Cephas, James, and John. James is not the apostle. He was killed. Herod got him. So this is the James, the half-brother of the Lord, the, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, if you will. So you've got the three guys that loosed their apostleships, their authority to Paul, move over and get this information ready because what <laughs> it's come and come to an end. And when it does, we've got to be ready and off you go, okay? Now, in Mark 13, we'll start next time and down in verse 24, because now he's going to get into, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then shall he send his angels, and they shall gather together his light. See how he just kind of jumps from they're going to see him coming to now he's out gathering up his people? Matthew in a lot more detail. Why? Because the king's coming. Here, it's not about that. It's about, boom. It's about the servant and what the servant's going to do. But what the adversary is doing is the Antichrist is that guy coming ain't the right guy. He's the devil. I'm God. I'm the right one. He's the devil. He's the devil. And off they go. Okay? All right. So we've kind of tied up everything, I think, from two weeks ago, which we didn't get to do till tonight. Okay? So just catch what the Lord's doing. When these guys, when he goes to Calvary, they're set. They're, they're equipped. 
They don't understand every little nuance because he's going to open that up to them after the fact. That thing in Acts 1 where he's going to, speaking to them things pertaining to the kingdom, he ties it all together. Gets That's why Peter will say, he'll quote that obscure passage out of Psalms about Judas's bishopric. We've got to get 12 of us, guys. We've got to pick this. We've got to do. Why? Because Peter and them, they know that we have to have 12. Why? 12 thrones. Judging the 12 tribes. We've got to get ready. They know David's going to get resurrected back to king. They have to be in place. They, and it's we had a short time to get there, and let's get going. That's why, uh, you know, these coming are real. I personally, my own personal private opinion is that by Acts 6, everything not written is written except for 2 Peter. And 2 Peter will come later because of the references to the Apostle Paul and his writings. They don't have those in Acts 6. My own personal private opinion, Revelation is written early. Hebrews, James, these guys are all written uh, subsequently in, in, in that Acts 6 to 28 period with 2 Peter being really probably the last one been written. Again, my own personal private opinion based on verses and so forth, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability to look at it, to study it, and to make it our final authority. In your name we pray, amen.